Very excited about this episode. Been looking forward to it for a long time. Welcome in, everyone. Just another sports podcast. Greg Swatek, Josh Smith here with you as always. Uh, very pleased to be joined this week by sports writer Adam Kilgore of the Washington Post. And a- Adam, I want, oh, I want to make sure I get this right. You are a general assignment reporter for the Post. Is that correct? That's right. With a pretty heavy lean recently toward uh, the NFL. Yeah, and, and, and that's exactly where we'll start. I, I, I'm curious, uh, with the retirement of uh, Rob Gronkowski, uh, what, what sort of impact do you think Gronk's retirement will have on the Patriots and in, in, in the Patriots dynasty? Yeah, I'm massive, I, I would say. I mean, you know, he's probably, I was thinking about the other day, he'll go down as probably the best, gosh, probably the, the second best offensive player that the Patriots had while Brady was there. Um, I guess Moss, at his peak, might be able to beat out Gronk's peak, but even that would be debatable. But Gronkowski, you know, was there for a lot longer than Moss and, you know, had, had a probably a bigger and broader impact. I mean, so, yeah, and he was still, you know, look, he made the biggest play in the Super Bowl. He was probably their best player for most of the playoffs. So it's a, it's a huge loss, even though, he, you know, he, he had lost a step, but, you know, that still left him as probably one of the, uh, you know, three, you know, maybe especially the five best tight ends in the NFL. And there's not a lot of uh, skill in, in that you know, skill group for the Patriots. So, you know, I don't know who – who Tom Brady is going to throw the ball to right now, uh, and you know that 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 those that person or those people probably aren't uh, wearing Patriots uniforms as we speak. You know, I think they're uh, almost certainly going to draft a tight end. It's not it's not a bad year uh, in the draft for for that position, and um, you know I, I wouldn't be any surprised to see the Patriots move up if they like one of the Iowa tight ends, Fant, and uh, um, I'm blanking on his name now. But anyway, um, you know I could see the move. I could see them trading up. I could see them. Um, you know, there's so much discussion uh, about maybe them trading for like an AJ Green or maybe a lower tier guy if the Giants want to keep trading pieces like Sterling Shepard. Um, Sanu is from Rutgers, so he, he's got pages written all over him. If he had the Falcons feel like they uh, can move on from him, um, so anyway, you know, I think it's a it's a really big deal. I mean, it's a huge loss um, because even though he was not as good as he used to be, uh, Gronkowski was still, you know, gosh, a, a great, great. Uh, player, um, you know, and, and we need to talk about his blocking, which he's probably, you know, one of the best blocking guys of all of all time too. And um, his blocking was like a huge, but a huge part in their, in their playoff run too. So, uh, yeah, it's a um, un- unquestionably, um, you know, sounds simple, but huge, huge loss. Adam, you spent a lot of time um, around the Patriots, um, specifically in the postseason, I guess, and I, I wanted to get your take on. Um, Sort of how 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 much you think the physical toll took on Gronkowski, um, you know, these last couple of years, the injuries that have piled up, um, you know, what, were you able to tell, you know, how how bad he was hurting or how you know how how much pain he was in um, the times that you were around him? You know, he, he was pretty scarce um, in the locker room, like during the week the, the week I was up there. Um, but but yeah, like no, no question. Like after the Super Bowl, you know, he, he was, you know, he, you know, I wouldn't call him like a, a, a broken man, but maybe you know, uh, broken adjacent. Um, he, uh, you know, it just looked like every step, you know, after that game, going to the locker, yeah. even though he was happy as hell to have won and wearing the T-shirt, um, there was just a, a, a laboring uh, to him that left you thinking. 
you know, almost like sad. Like it was this, this giant guy who was, um, you know, just a spectacular athlete who, you know, the game had just sort of diminished him. And that, that's going to be a big part of, that's a big part of the story as, as an NFL player was because he was such a monster, um, you know, he had physical attributes that were so enormous um, <clears throat> and spectacular. Like, you know, the only way to get him down was to just go at his knees. Uh, and, you know, he played with abandon and he took hits and absorbed punishment. Um, you know, one guy would have him and the only way to get him down with two guys. But what that means is a lot of time, you know, you, one guy's holding on your leg and you're just sitting duck yeah. the guy to you know, just a, a human missile into your chest. Um, you know, it, it, there's probably not a player in the NFL who uh, doled out or took more abuse than Gronkowski. Um, and so, you know, that was, I think he definitely showed that. You know, you watch him on the field, he looked like, you know, sometimes he looked like, um, you know, like he was wearing a suit of armor that was like rusty. Uh, it was like hard to, hard, to, hard to move what he was wearing, you know. Um, which, which honestly, I think makes his, these last three games he played in the playoffs this year more remarkable. I mean, he was the best player on the field in the Super Bowl, probably. Um, maybe not the best, but certainly one of the most impactful guys in the field. Um, sure. And and it was in the biggest game against a great team at you know far from the height of his power. So he he's he it was um yeah he he was he was he was definitely showing the wear though no no, no doubt. Adam, I'm curious when you get an up close look at this juggernaut, this machine that is the New England Patriots. What's your biggest takeaway? What strikes you the most? Um, you know, it, it's sort of just how they've all been there before. How it's not, um, it, you know, the work they're doing isn't easy, but um, it's easy for them to figure out what they're what they're doing. Um, that, I don't know how much sense that made, but it's just you know, there's like a, such a comfort, um, especially with the coaching staff. You know, I mean. Uh, there was like a sense with the Rams this year that they were sort of there's like some almost a constant wonder of like okay uh, where are we what are we supposed to do now so we sit just sit at these little tables and talk to these reporters okay uh, so how how do we get from our hotel to the practice field and, and we're gonna we're gonna do what now and you know the, the Patriots it was just like it was just another day at the office and they were almost like there was like a relishing of the moment um, where the Rams were sort of looking around and saying where are we. Um, you know, I think that's such a hidden advantage the Patriots have when they get into the, into these big games, especially is like, this is this like routine for them. You know, it's, there are some of the biggest games and, you know, biggest professional moments of their lives, but you know, they it doesn't, doesn't, you know, you don't get the, the sense that it's, uh, you know, awing for them because they've done it so often. Um, and even just, you know, the, the staff Belichick has, I mean, um, I, 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 I've been fierce running back coach, Don Dante Scarnecki, the line coach, who's spectacular, uh, offensive coordinator Josh McDaniels. Like to have three assistants that good at be on the same staff for that long, doesn't really happen in the NFL, and it's a massive advantage, especially considering all the big game experience they have. You know, they can there's like a shorthand um, for how they can communicate. Other coaching staffs don't have. There's like a giant backlog of experience and shared experience. Other coaching staffs and teams don't have. Um, and so that, you know, I think that that's really, those are really important cogs in the machine. It lets them do things on the fly, like in the AFC Championship game. You know, they, they pulled out some plays the morning of the game. And, you know, they had used, had used like, you know, seven or eight seasons ago and said, all right, if this happens in the game, we might have to go to these plays. And everyone knew, knew what they were talking about. They didn't have to go to a whiteboard. They didn't have to sort of like wonder if their players knew what they were talking about or their quarterback could figure it out. They just knew. Um, you know, and so I think that's, that might be like the most fundamental difference between the Patriots and other teams. Other teams 
have a plan. I hope it works. The Patriots develop devil plan and they know it's going to work because it has so many times before. Given, Adam, that Tom Brady's going to be 42 the next time he takes a real snap, I mean, how much longer can this last? I mean, how much legs does the Patriots dynasty have left? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely going to end soon, um, you know, just based on, like, human capacity. <laughs> but who knows, you know? I mean... You're, uh, you're discounting the uh, the value of those those avocados that Tom Brady eats, I think. I guess that's true. Um, <laughs> yeah, the, the avocado ice cream and uh, no 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 strawberries would, would right. uh, be, you know, you can put quarterback to your 50. Are, I mean, are, are you on the TB12 method? Are you on the TB12 method, uh, Adam? No, I do like eating avocados, but definitely not. Okay. Um, um, I eat guacamole. I don't know if that counts, but... Yeah, guac is good. Uh, I, I don't think um, like local IPAs are on the TV. No. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's he- that's heavy on my in my diet as well. Yeah. Uh, no, but no, I mean, I it's like a you know I've written about that a few times, and I just feel like it'd be silly, it'd be silly to try to write about it again. Sort of like is the Patriots dynasty coming to a close or is it showing cracks? Because you know I think as long as Belichick is there, the answer is no. Um, you know, I mean, you, you, you don't dismiss like, um, you know, even when Brady leaves, it doesn't mean if Belichick says that it's over. Um, you know, they went eleven and five with Matt Castle. They went three and one with Jacoby Brissett and Jimmy Garoppolo in his very first starts. Um, you know, I, I think the whole, I think the whole dynasty is tied um, probably more to Belichick than even to Brady. And I, I'm not even discounting Brady when I say that. I just think that, you know, Belichick is just so much better at this than every other coach um, that he's going to be doing it uh, as long as he wants to um, and winning no matter who the quarterback is. Um, you know, that, that could turn out to be, uh, could turn out to be wrong. I could eat those words for sure. And and, and, that's, and, that, and that's not even a discount of, um, of how important Brady is and how great he is. But Belichick um, is, is like too smart. Uh, he's doing everything so much better than basically the, rest, the entire rest of the NFL. Um, and he, he's able to keep up with all the innovations and, and even sort of like, you know, steer the innovations in a lot of ways that I don't think, I, you know, I, I guess I'll put it like this. I think the Patriots dynasty will end when Bill Belichick decides it's over. Um, one of the cool stories that we've we've read here, um, I, we, we run a lot of your stories in our in our paper because we, we have a membership to the Bloomberg Post uh, wire service, which is great. So we get to, you know, not only do we get to read your stuff, but we get to publish it in our paper. And one of, one of my favorite stories that you did within the last um, few months is is the one you did around the Super Bowl, leading up to the Super Bowl, about um, the backup or the scout team quarterbacks that were – um, you know, on the teams that were facing the Patriots in these Super Bowls and how they were trying to prepare their teams or help prepare their teams by acting like Tom Brady um, in the practices leading up to the Super Bowl. Can you talk about that story and where did you come up with that story idea? Um, and how it, ha- it seemed like a really fun story to do. And um, just sort of take us through the genesis of that story, if you could. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for for reading that first of all, and, yeah. and publishing it. And uh, I'm, I'm glad I, I'm stoked that you liked it. Uh, it was it was de- definitely fun to do. Yeah. Um, I like honestly kind of for, you know, I forget what led me to that idea to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember really, really digging the idea when I thought of it, and I thought it would be great. And I, you know, I to be honest, I didn't quite the execution of it didn't quite live up to what I was hoping for. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, you know, I probably felt like I was maybe a one or two quarterbacks short, and I was not as easy getting some of those dudes on the phone yeah. as I thought it might be. Um, but no, I, I was, it was like a really fun 
really fun one to do. Um, and I thought it was pretty illuminating. I mean, I thought it was, you know, it was interesting to hear like what other quarterbacks noticed when they, you know, tried to be like him or, you know, studied him in a, in a different way. Um, I think my favorite anchor was probably Matt Hasselbeck was talking about, you know, cause he, he had played Brady when he was, uh, he was a backup with the Colts for, at the end of his career. And he talked a lot about how like that, that affectation that you can always hear now with that took the sound where the quarterback yells, you know, we'll point at the linebacker and whatever number is, they'll say, you know, 54 is the mic, right. uh, which means like the middle linebacker, and that's sort of how the line sets their blocking schemes. Um, and like, you know, Hasselbeck's like, look, every every guy in the offense knows that like Ryan Erlocker is the middle linebacker for the Bears. You have to say it. <laughs> but <laughs> once Barry started doing it, he, he would he would do it every time. And then coaches would tell their quarterback to do it, basically because, uh, you know, if Brady's doing it, it must be the right thing to do. So I used to do it too. Um, and Hasselbeck, you know, is saying how it's sort of like, uh, you know, not not useless, but how, you know, uh, unnecessary that is. But everyone does it because they want to be like Brady. It's almost like, you know, when you read the right stuff, like all the pilots want to talk like Chuck Yeager. Uh, all the quarterbacks want to do that because of what Tom Brady does. So I thought that was kind of a, that was kind of a cool thing to, to pick up on. I, I'm curious, Adam, how many quarterbacks did you talk to for that story? Oh, gosh, I forget. Half a dozen, I would say, roughly, thereabouts. Did you feel you had uh, enough, or did you feel you had to talk to more? Like you said, you didn't get a hold of everyone. It doesn't sound you like know, I, Yeah, I want to talk to a few more, because I got, I got a lot of them. Um, I think I got three or four of the quarterbacks he had done, done, played against the Super Bowl against, and I was hoping you know, it would have been it would have felt more complete if I had gotten all of them. Um, because he, I even got the, the scouting guy from the Rams uh, down in Atlanta. He was, he was there and he was, he was pretty helpful. Um, but like Derek, you know, I thought I would have been able to get, uh, not Derek Carr, David Carr on the phone right. pretty easily, but just for some reason didn't work out. So, um, and I was really hoping to get, uh, Matt Schaub. No, not Matt Schaub. I was hoping to get, uh, Chiefs guy. Uh, Chad Henney was, would have been for the Chiefs. He was like the, you know, he, he would have done it most recently. Right. He would have been a guy to talk to and reach out to the Chiefs and didn't happen. Um, but anyway, so, I guess it's kind of uh, making some sausage there, uh, journalism-wise. But, but yeah, I mean, I feel like I had got. Um, I was definitely enough to execute the story, but it would have been. Um, it wasn't. Didn't feel like complete as it uh, as it could have been on the reporting side. Um, you know, just you know, one or two more anecdotes I thought would have really punched it up. But uh, that being said, I was you know it was definitely a fun one to do, and I was you know happy enough with it. Yeah, for another little peek behind the sports writing curtain here, Adam. Uh, the Super Bowl happened, and and you wrote a and after the game was over, you wrote a very detailed analysis of how the Patriots shut down the Rams' explosive offense. Um, how did that story come about, uh, or not? How did it come about? But how are you able to pull off such a detailed piece, rough, essentially on deadline? And and how late were you up that night writing that story? Yeah, yeah. Thanks again. So I, I had a great assignment there. So I was, we were coming to the Super Bowl this year. Um, at the game was uh, myself, Sally Jenkins and uh, Mark Maskey and Sally and Mark had the hard job, you know, they had to write the paper on deadline. So they were filing, you know, at the gun and, uh, you know, chasing down quotes and plugging them in and getting in for the, for the newspaper. My assignment was sort of just, you know, find um, the best thing that, you know, didn't overlap with Sally and Mark and that we could put up uh, early in the morning on the web where, you know, readers were looking for something in the morning and, you know, it, it was a little more depth and detail because, you know, I had I had all the time uh, that I needed, really. Um, so, 
Um, you know, I went down to the locker room. I was emailing with my editors and even a couple of uh, portraying pals of mine to sort of try to, you know, pick their brains on what they thought was sort of like going to be the dominant story. And even when I got down there, I was still sort of torn between, you know, trying to do like a scene type thing, following Gronkowski around, thinking that it might be his last game and he had made the big catch, um, uh, or or trying to sort of get into the story, which ended up being the one I wrote, was, you know, you know how, how Belichick did this. Um, and the way the Super Bowl works is kind of it's pretty helpful because the losing team, they, they come into the locker room and throw a pretty normal post-game schedule while the winning team is out of the field having their ceremony. So the, the access is, like, staggered, um, which, is, which is great because you can get the guys in the losing team uh, without missing any of the availability for the guys on the, on the winning team. So the, I went to the Rams first, and um, Andrew Whitworth, who's like a really insightful uh, interview and, and talker, he was on a podium and a, and a few reporters around him, and he started, you know, sort of sharing some things about like, well, you know, they never showed man man to man all year, and they were playing zone, and you know, they were you know walking guys up to the line in, in this way, and that was really confusing us, and you know, I think that was tough for Jared to figure out, and you know, he he was pretty insightful about like what they what the Patriots had done that they didn't expect, and so. Once I heard that, I, I sort of, you know, sort of pushed all my chips in and I said, okay, I'm just going to write about, you know, the, the Patriots' defensive game plan and, and why it was so interesting and, and worked so well. And having the chance to talk to the Rams first a little bit, that made me, that allowed me to ask some, like, way better uh, questions that I would have been able to come up with on my own to the Patriots players and, and a few assistant coaches um, in the locker room. So that all took – you know, I think I didn't get, I forget exactly what time I got back to the press box, but um, I had a lot, you know, I was one of the last people um, in the in the locker room again, which, which was a luxury afforded to me by my editors saying, you know, you know, just, just write one story for the morning. Um, so I got back up there and I remember I just had so much tape. I didn't even finish like going through that, transcribing <laughs> and figuring, you know, sort of going back through what people had said. Do you take, do you I, take I, notes at all? Funny. Not to interrupt you, but do you take notes no, at all? Please. So you're just recording them. Uh, I definitely jot down a lot of notes too. Try to jot, jot down some scene as well. Okay. Um, I think like I led with you know the, like Edelman came in very late because he had all the festivities of being the MVP, and he was sitting there and he said something to uh, I think it was Matthew Slater, something along the lines of like, "God, I can't believe we held him to a touchdown," which was like perfect for what sure. what the story is right? because I think that was sort of like. That was my reaction to watching the game. And he, so he was almost like speaking for yes. like the audience. And, you know, I can't believe that happened. And then, okay, well, here's here's how it happened. So, um, yeah, I, I take notes, but I, you know, I definitely, um, unless unless it's something very very short and pithy, right. I almost always go back to the recorder. So, um, so that it, that took me longer than usual because I had more time down the locker than I usually do. Um, and I think I left the stadium around three and was riding on the on the uh, on the shuttle back to the. Um, hotel a little bit i got back to the hotel like i think i ended up filing the story at 4 4 30 um tell me you didn't have to be up at like 7 a.m the next day what's that tell me you didn't have to be up at 7 a.m the next day oh i didn't sleep i didn't sleep i, I actually did the best so sally and i had, had gone you know now i wasn't like thinking i would take that long um <laughs> but so sally and i before the game had gone to uh there's like there's a gus's fried chicken in atlanta mm-hmm. and we bought uh, like I bought a six pack of beer until I got a bag of fried chicken and we were going to split mm-hmm. uh, after the game in the back in the ho- hotel. Um, she uh, finished, you know, she, she had deadline. I didn't. 
Uh, oh, I thought you were going to say she'd finish the beer. <laughs> yeah, well, no, so she came, she had a, I, I, she had, uh, when she left the press box, I had given her a hotel key so she could get the beer, and she left me some of the chicken. So, nice. uh, as I was, uh, all, my memory of that night is uh, filing, and then, um, actually, I, I just, one thing that was kind of silly, I, I also had to like, write like a follow story for the, like, two days later paper, and I, yeah. so, when I filed the one story, I, I wrote, uh, I started writing a story about, uh, sort of like a sidebar-y, follow-y type story about Edelman and his, you know, winning the MVP. And, yeah. um, so anyway, but I think I remember most of the night eating that, that bag of uh, cold fried chicken and feeling fairly grateful for Sally because it tasted so good. <laughs> well, was Sally tapping her watch saying, let's go, Adam, come on, it's t- time to leave, it's 3 a.m.? No, well, no, so, so things like, like I said, if Sally left at a normal time. She, okay. uh, I, I, her, I guess I gave her my hotel key so she could get in the room and get the beer that I bought and she was able to, trade me some chicken for the beer so i think she had her own beer and chicken snack uh in her own room while i was in the press box still but uh yeah that was that was my fault i was just a total slowpoke. uh you, usually i gotta get out of there I'm, i can ride pretty fast and get out of there but i had so much uh so much more, more material than i than i typically would on a deadline Right. Well, story. well, well uh, that, that's honestly what struck me about it, Adam. I mean, this piece shows up early in the morning, the night after the Super Bowl, and it's an incredibly detailed piece. So I came in and I said to Josh, I said, how long do you think Adam was up or did he get any sleep last night? Because that is an incredibly detailed piece for being essentially a deadline piece. It, it wasn't, but it, but it was up the next morning. So um, so anyone that woke up would have, would have seen it right away. So. Yeah, thanks, man. It wasn't. It didn't feel like a deadline, like like a typical newspaper deadline. But it was, you know, right. I, I wasn't like I was taking a week to do it either. But um, no, it was. Um, I don't know. It was definitely. It was. It was definitely fun, especially for a guy who, you know, I mean, you know, covering, you know, like I covered the Nationals for five years, and you know that was like trying to hit, you know, sacrificing, um, you know, a level of detail and a level of, you know, whether it was uh, depth or length or detail. You know, there's certain things you just can't do in that short time when you're meeting like a you know midnight deadline or whatever, right. when off of a game. Um, so it was it was definitely like sort of a foreign uh, experience, but it was it was cool. It was you know it was weird to sort of like start thinking start thinking about an idea and trying to write it at like one in the morning, <laughs> uh, and knowing that there wasn't like a total sword hanging over my head. Um, I feel bad because I think there was I think someone in the office and I had to stay up and like read it uh, maybe maybe away from the morning e- either way I that, that was the person that was, that was the person that was cursing you out uh <laughs> that night, i know so. i definitely felt bad about keeping someone in the office that late because i you know i just didn't think it was gonna take that long but yeah. uh you know oh. uh, it was also it was, it was really cool to be have have that assignment for sure well what's the coolest thing in your mind adam about being a sports writer uh man great question uh it beats working for a living um i really like uh I don't know. That's a great question. I guess I hadn't thought about it. Uh, I really enjoy the camaraderie of the press box. Um, you know, it's fun to go to these events over the years and make friends and, uh, you know, see some of the same faces to the point where, you know, you can, you know, people that you really admire become your pals. That's, that's really cool. Um, you know, that's, uh, a job where you get to have a little bit of creative expression. Uh, I think that's something that's not to be taken for granted. Um, you know, we're not, uh, you know, you know, cops, study. cops, reporters, or something like that, right? Y- yeah, or you know, and, you know, look, we're you know, we're not going to be studied like uh, in, 
you know, college literature classrooms yeah. or anything like that. But it is cool to, you know, put some, be able to put thought in your work and have people know that you're the guy who did it. Um, that's, I think, sort of an elemental thing that is easy to overlook when you're slogging on deadline or working on a story you're not too excited about and, or, or whatever. Um, and, you know, just to have, to be able to have a job that like other people are passionate about is cool. You know, you get a lot of, uh, you know, like, you know, especially when I was on the Nationals beat, for example, like, you know, pe- people care about your work because they care so much about what you're, what you're covering. Um, you know, that kind of energy and that, that kind of passion really bleeds over. And, you know, probably I, I would imagine most jobs, there's not a, there's not really a, a, a corollary for that. So, um, yeah, I mean, I just feel, I feel, I feel really lucky to have the job for sure. Um, that's a good question. I, I don't know. I, if you get to that in 10 minutes, I thought I had an answer, but that's what comes to mind the most. Uh, you mentioned a couple of times the cover in the Nats, and I, I wanted to jump jump to uh, to that subject quickly, and and just get your take on um, you know the fact that Harper is gone, and I, I won't ask you to be critical of your your own newspaper, but I, I notice a lot of stories in the Washington Post are still being written about Bryce Harper. Uh, I'm wondering if that if you think that's going to continue this season. Um, I'm wondering what your take is on like DC's almost like obsession with him considering he never really won anything for, for the fans there. Um, what, what do you think of that? Yeah. I mean, I think people still care about him for sure. I mean, we're going to, I know we're going to have someone at, at, at his first game in Philly. Yeah. And I think we're going to, I'm sure, you know, lucky they're going to play the, the Phillies are coming to DC for the second series of the season. So that's going to be the obvious yeah. storyline. I don't know. I mean, I think, you know, it's like, you know, cause you know, Dave, Dave Shannon, he covers national baseball mm-hmm. for the post. And so even if Harper plays whole career in, you know, wherever, Cleveland, Houston, Seattle, whatever, whatever, his agency still would have been like the biggest story sure. um, in, in baseball just of who he is. So I think that's just sort of amplified by the fact that, you know, he, he played for the, the Nets too. And I, I like, like over time, it'll naturally uh, dissipate. Yeah. You know, I'm sure we won't be writing – you know, weekly updates on, on Harper or covering him like he's a, he's a local for too much longer. But I think there is interest still in like sort of what Bryce is up to and, uh, you know, how it, how everything unfolded. Um, at least I, I'm interested. Adam, Adam, it's getting late and I know you got to run soon, but I want to close with this question. Uh, I'm a lifelong Cleveland Browns fan. And uh, as being the NFL reporter that you are, please tell me that there is hope for the Browns this season, and and there is light at the end of the tunnel, and and, and they are actually turning the corner. Oh, did we lose Adam? Hey, fellas, I think I watched it. Yeah. Oh, okay. Can, can you hear us? Did you hear my question? Yep. Uh, Fireway guy. I think I'm, I think I. Yeah, our, our our connection dropped out. Sorry about that. Um, no, I'm a I'm a lifelong I'm a lifelong Cleveland Browns fan. So is, is there reason for me to finally believe? Is is there light at the end of the tunnel finally? Yeah, I mean, I think so. I mean, you know, it seems like in the NFL, like the team that wins the offseason usually um, has deficiencies that you don't see coming, and it you know gets overhyped. But I love the Browns. I mean, I thought the Browns, I thought the Browns' talent last year they could have been at eight and eighteen pretty easily. I mean, they were. I think they showed that after they fired um, Hugh Jackson and Todd Haley and uh, Kitchens got in there and with the offense and, and Greg Williams. But no, I'm not like I, I I'm all in on the Browns honestly. Um, Mayfield I think is, is special. Um, Beckham I think. You there, Adam? Going to be good. It's a position coach from college. 
guy he really trusts is is in there. Um, I think the defense has the pieces to be good to very good. Um, you know, I, I, there's definitely questions that you know, I, it's, it's a lot on a first year head coach who a year ago was the running backs coach and had to interview to get that job. Um, there's gonna be a lot to manage for someone in that spot. Um, you know, I mean, he seems like a capable guy, but you have no idea how, that, how that's gonna go. Um, but yeah, man, no, I'm, I think like. I want to. I hope. I want. To, I want them to put the Browns on every Sunday night game, on every Monday night game. They, they're like, they're so interesting, and, and Mayfield is so spectacular and interesting to watch. Um, oh, you st- are you still there, Adam? Oh, we may have. We may uh, have lost. We, him. we may have lost Adam, but but that was that was fantastic. So yeah, he's had some awesome assignments. Um, he's been hitting he- hitting heavy on the NFL um, recently with off season. He was at the combine. He did tons of stories on um, the free agent, big signings. Um, yeah, so, I mean, anybody who's an interested, you know, a, a reader of, uh, of sports stories should definitely look into his work because he's an incredibly talented guy, and he's, he's on some of the, some of the coolest stories in, in the country, really. Yeah, I mean, given, given what the NFL is and, and how popular it is, if you want to read about the NFL for a major newspaper – or uh, Adam's a guy to definitely turn to. Um, I, I love the Brady story that he wrote. I also was just blown away by that uh, that analysis story of how the Patriots defense shut down the Rams. I mean, just how detailed that was and how little time, relatively, he had to write that, even though he wasn't on a hard deadline. I mean, it, it was amazing. Yeah, so. I mean, and the other thing is, well, he was talking about how this wasn't really a t- traditional deadline, and you know, I didn't have to worry about being done for the newspaper, but. Still, just think about this. He'd been up all – I don't know. Who knows what time he got up that day, the day of the Super Bowl. He was up, you know, all day all day there. He, he watched the game. He went – you know, the highs and lows of, you know, covering that game and everything. Then he had to uh, come up with this story essentially on the fly and stay up the whole night to write it and keep his – you know, I, I wonder how many cups of coffee he drank. You know, had to keep his – keep the wheels had to keep churning, man, while he's up in the middle of the night putting this story out. You know, you, you, it's it's hard to express how difficult that is. You you know, you're like the deadline guy here. That's what I always call you because you're so good on deadline and, and writing writing quickly late at night. Um, but this is just sort of like a whole other whole other realm of that, though. Yeah. Uh, what, what's your take on the Gronk uh, retirement? Uh, I mean, you, you sort of sensed that was coming. It, it seemed we've talked about before. So. Yeah, I mean, it was just uh, just by watching him. That's all I could go on. Um, you know, and then the the. the the previous off season, I think there were there were lots of questions about it. Um, you know, he, he like Adam said, he's a player that he took more of a beating in the NFL than really probably any other skill position player. It's, you know, in God knows how long. I mean, you know, tight ends are obviously bigger guys, and they can they're going over the middle and they're taking punishment. So um, some of those guys, but he's you know he was in a uh, in a class of his own in terms of. Um, what he was facing on the field and just the sheer size and the fact that he was so important to what they did that defenses knew they needed to sort of target him and stop him from taking over games. And they couldn't do it a lot of times, no matter how beat up he got. Um, so I think you could just tell, though, as the season wore on, um, just watching him on the field and, the, you know, like Adam said, like he was laboring to get through those games. And... Um, it's not surprising to me at all that he's he's hanging it up. 
you know, he, he's had bunch, a bunch of surgeries, but, you know, by and large, it looks like he's escaped with his, you know, with his health intact. Who knows what his brain is, is going to look like or we'll what's going to happen. I mean, yeah. if, if he has the WWE, he's going to get knocked around there, too. And, and, he's so. got, and he's got a brand. He, he is one of these, he's, you know, he's made a lot of money, but he can, uh, he can build sort of even build his brand up even more. Um, even though he's not going to be in the NFL because he's just so famous and there are going to be so many opportunities for him, whether that's movies or whether that's the WWE, which you have to think is in the cards at some point. So, you know, good for, good for him. I think it's, um, it's going to be really interesting to see what, what the Patriots do to make up for uh, his absence. It's not going to be a single player that's going to do it. Right. Cause they, when they needed to make a, big play in the super bowl brady went to edelman and gronk and those were the two players and it seemed like those were the only two receivers he really trusted so did that news surprise you at all uh not really i mean i i thought he would be back because he's gronk and and that's his stage and and, i mean yes he could do other things but but that's his identity is is being a football player so i didn't think he was going to be able to walk away from it so easily at such a young age with, with so much left in the tank so normally when guys like that retire they have a lot left a lot less left in the tank than Gronk does. Um, do you think he's the greatest tight end ever? I mean, it, it's hard to say. I mean, there's Gonzalez, Gates, uh, we're going back uh, uh, in earlier Winslow, times. Kellen John, John Mackey. Uh, Ozzie Newsom. Ozzie Newsom. Um, yeah, so it's, it's hard to say he's the greatest of all time, but he's certainly yeah. in, in the conversation. I don't know that it's really that hard to say. Yeah. I, I really don't. And everything that you read about him, and, and not just this week. I'm If you've paid attention and you've read – about him throughout his career, you know that he's an incredibly intelligent football player. And they can only do um, things on the field uh, because of him, certain things. And if you hear Belichick say something like that, you, you know it's, it's no joke. Like he, he knew how to block. He was, a, he was a great in that role, even as uh, his, you know, his ability to run down the field and catch passes and stuff sort of dissipated a little bit as he got older and the injuries piled up. He was a huge factor in their running game. Um, and Belichick has said, uh, he, he's been quoted in numerous stories talking about how the tight end position in particular in their offense is so important because he's the, that's the position that they can motion with and that that's a tell to the quarterback. So they would use Gronk in that role. And um, there wasn't there. There was no weakness to his game. There was they, everybody that's talking about him this week is that he was the five tool tight end. Well, there really aren't that many of them out there. There are guys that can do everything, and they can do all of those things okay. But he did all of them great. So Tony Gonzalez, I don't know. I can't remember hear, hearing stories about how great of a blocker he was. Um, you know, Newsom was known as as the pass as one of the first pass big catching. pass catching yeah. tight ends. Uh, you know, Winslow, Wh- same thing. Winslow, same thing. Um, John Mackey, I think was was probably one of the first ones that was doing that, and had had a little bit of. He was like sort of like the first Gronk, and that he would, he could break tackles and was incredibly athletic. Um, r- you know, running away from defenses and stuff, and that was way back in the you know the '60s with the Colts. But um, no, I'm I'm I am firmly in the camp that um, you know, that believes Gronk is the best tight end ever. Do you think Brady will be done before anyone expects to? I mean, I know he says he's going to play till he's 45, but but I mean, his wife has been vocal about maybe him uh, walking yeah. away from football. Do you think he'll just up and leave without anyone really I expecting don't. it? Yeah, I don't. I really and and again, this just goes off of everything that we keep seeing and everything we keep hearing from him, and that is he wants to play until he's 45 there has been no 
incredibly noticeable drop off in his ability. There's just certain things that he doesn't do as well, of course, as he gets older. But no, I think he has 45 in his mind, and that's where he's going. And I think even then he'll get there and be like, okay, how do I feel now? Can I keep? Can I play another year? We'll see. I, I just think he's he's not going to just all of a sudden say I'm done. Yeah. All right, some other news uh, outside of the NFL. Uh, Conor McGregor is in trouble again. You've read more about this than, than I have. This just we're recording this on a Wednesday, and this just happened today. So, well, uh, just if you could summarize and just your your reaction to him retiring, apparently. Yeah, he's or? so he says. I think he released something yesterday that said he was quote unquote retiring, and then there was another headline that I saw when I came in here today about him. There, he's being his name is brought up in some sexual assault case or something in Ireland. So, you know, put two and two together. Uh, I'm thinking he probably just wants to get away from the limelight. It probably wouldn't be a good idea if he came back and fought anytime soon if he's got some case hanging over his head. But he's 30 years old. He's made tens of hundreds of millions of dollars doing what he's doing. He was outclassed in his last fight. He was. Fight, so. um, and, you know, this is one of these things where it's just – this will be a sabbatical. He's not going to just go away. If anybody, if you, if sports fans know anything about him, said he loves attention. He's not going to just kind of slink away into the shadows and never well, be heard from he's again. He's got his uh, drink to sell, his uh, whiskey, yeah, whiskey to sell. Yeah. Um, so he's got stuff to keep him busy. Give him a couple of years, maybe not even that, and let things shake out in the UFC. You know, some names, obviously, some younger guys are going to come up. There's going to be newer new names you know and there could be exciting matchups if he gets back in shape and is ready to fight again he is not retired i mean he's gonna have to be visible just to sell his yeah. commercial stuff so yeah. uh he's gonna have to be uh, in the public consciousness uh, uh you would think also uh we would be remiss if we did not mention that this is the opening week of the baseball season uh thursday 1 p.m it gets underway uh o's at yankees nationals uh host the mets uh, just your thoughts about the start of the baseball season and what you enjoy about the start of the baseball yeah, season. Yeah, it's it's you know if, if you do. I mean, I know you, you say you'll hate. You'll start I in about a week. It. In about a week, you'll be saying you hate baseball because because <laughs> some game gets they tied up in too the long. Bo- too long. Some game gets tied up in the bottom of the ninth, and, and yeah. everything starts over again. Essentially, uh, when when you're waiting for a story on deadline. So all right, well, I, I'll just talk about. Um, the Orioles as we, as we head into this and maybe I don't know if, what you what you can add to to that or if you want to discuss the Nats or something else but I you know I've said as we've headed into this season that I'm really kind of excited about this season right well largely my excitement has been over the idea that these kids these prospects are going to be contributing to the Orioles <laughs> and a lot of those guys were sent back down to the minors. So that kind of, you know, that's kind of a bummer to yeah. me. As Peter Schmuck pointed out, it's going to be largely the same team that yeah. walked off the field with 115 losses. I, last year. It's almost exactly the same team. So that's kind of a bummer. Um, not that I'm expecting anything from them. I, you know, and I will check on I'll check in on them. Obviously, we'll have them on here at the office at nighttime, so I'll be able to peek and see how they're doing and see, see what's happening. But, um, you yeah, know, I wanted to see Austin Hayes, and I wanted to see – you know, the, the, uh, Usniel Diaz and, um, but you know, obviously they have, they only have so many outfield spots. Um, yeah, I want to see Brandon Klein up there. I, obviously I want to see him up there. There's just, there's a bunch of, there's a bunch they, of, they claim they're, they're not rushing anyone uh, yeah, I mean, I understand. And, and, and they're doing right by these guys. They, that's, and they that's are, what they claim, but you know, I mean, and I'm, I'm the fan who just right. wants to see them. So they're, you know, and they've come out and said like, look, we're not, we're, you know, we're doing this a certain way. So just have to, you know, bite my tongue and hope that, um, sooner or later this season, we'll see some of those kids and, and they won't lose 115 games. Again. Right. As far as the Nats go, uh, I, I think they're going to be pretty good. I mean, and I wonder if this is the year the Nationals are actually going to 
make a big postseason run because if you look at the Capitals, they had the best record in the NHL for so many years, and they would always bomb out in the first or second round. They would always fall short of expectations. It wasn't until that there were basically no expectations that the Capitals finally broke through and, and won the Stanley Cup last year. It's like the pressure was off. And now with Bryce Harper gone, there's less, there's less spotlight. I wonder if the Nationals could finally settle into their groove and if they'll finally make a postseason run now that sort of the pressure of them being the best team in the division and having to win all these playoff games is, is finally off. Now they'll say, they're saying that their expectations are nothing – nothing different like their expectations are to get to the playoffs and to take the next step and get to the world series but you're absolutely right the level of expectation for them has been lowered and and, and when you have young guys like you do with soto and you have Ro- robles and just some of these other guys like heading into a season i think having lower expectations is only going to help them thrive and those two guys in particular, I think, could be really super duper exciting players to right. watch as a as a duo as we as we move into the future here. And, and their outfield could be better defensively when you subtract Harper and his sort of defensive shortcomings. Absolutely. So yeah, and they still have you know they still have leadership. They have Zimmerman's on the team. Scherzer, fantastic leader. Strasburg, you know, not an outspoken leader, but you know, leads by example. They just paid Patrick Corbin a ton of money to right. be like a number two, number three starter yeah. for him. So they have one of the best if not the best third baseman in the game and and Rendon Uh, I don't know there's hard to find weaknesses really Trey Turner is a fantastic overall player so I mean I picked them last year I'm not going to pick them again but they're going to be they're going to be really good and I think they may even be even more fun to watch with some of these exciting players yeah so I just wonder like same thing happened to the Caps when you take the pressure off and the expectations away they finally find their groove and actually win finally a postseason series. And, you know, and all they got to do is get into the postseason and look at that starting rotation. Right. You know, if it's in those three series, guys right. in a short series, man, they just have to get to the playoffs. Right. Well, I hear the boat firing up uh, and sailing by. So, uh, who who are we throwing on this week? Man, you know, you know, I'm a Cam Newton fan. I, I'm I am shamelessly I, I like him. I don't care what anybody says about him. Um, I love the way he plays. I love to watch him play. But I'm I'm going to have to put Cam on the boat because last week he came out and said some nonsense about how he was giving up sex yeah. to improve his game. Uh, that's just that's, – that's, there are no scientific studies, I think, that, that prove that giving up, giving up sex – helps athletes or helps yeah but uh, boxers famously do yeah they say that you, you get weak in the knees yeah uh, uh if you indulge uh, too close to a fight or right something i like just that. saw oscar de la hoya on um the dan patrick the interview show on audience network uh with dan patrick and he said that he would he was forsake you know uh that every time he was in a camp but that's bogus i don't you know cam newton's it's a little a little over the top there. I'm not buying that. And my natural question is: Is that sex with his wife or girlfriend, or is that, or is that sex with everyone else? <laughs> uh, no comment. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I've been thinking about. It. I don't have a lot of great candidates for for, for the boat this week. I, Conor McGregor is he on? Because we, he, we, I uh, threw him on. I think I threw him on recently. Yeah, I don't, I don't remember. He should be on there. I'm, tra- I'm trying to think. So may- maybe I'll throw the executives at uh, CBS and Turner for scheduling yeah. Sunday night NCAA tournament games for like 9.50 and stuff like that. It's yeah. like pe- people want to go to bed at some point. People, and so. people want to see those games, man. I mean, those, right. that's, that's high drama. And 
Sunday sporting event should be over in the yes. in, in the evening. I mean, there's football season and there's a Sunday night game and 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 there's that exception, I think. But I think like once it gets to be like six or seven o'clock on on Sunday, like people are done with sports for the weekend. Yeah. So agreed. Uh, and so are newspaper editors. Right. Exactly. As like, if anyone cares about right. them. So so yeah, I mean these late starts are sort of weird, especially on on Sunday. Like and starting these games so late. Um, so, so these TV yeah. executives, uh, they could they could program their new networks uh, for for yeah. the for the in, the in network cruise uh, TV line. I te- so. Well, I texted you earlier this week. I'm still reading this book by Frank DeFord called The Old Ball Game, and it's about the and, and part of them, what I'm reading now is about the 1905 World Series, and it talked about, of course, how all of these games happened at three three thirty four o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah, and game one of the 1905 World Series was over in an hour and a half. Right. Like, let's go back to those times, please. No commercials, right. uh, broad daylight. Yeah. yeah. Except, uh, I wonder, what, don't, that's, don't hold I wonder bre- what that's like. Don't hold your breath on that one. There but, aren't but, even, but like, we'll high school softball games that end in an hour and a half. Right. Know? Well, because the, the World Series games, the games don't start. By the time you get all the pregame stuff, the introductions and all that, I mean, it's 8.30, 9 yeah. o'clock before those games even start. Yeah. So, uh, seen or to be seen. Uh, oh, boy. Um Oh, well, okay. I, we didn't talk about the NCAA tournament very much at all, but I, I sat I didn't down. want to bore you by talking about no. the brackets. So. Yeah, well, we right. you, just don't talk about the brackets. We can right. talk about the games and the excitement of the games. I sat down. I watched I watched two two college basketball games over the weekend. Um, Saturday before I worked, the Terps were on early. Man, that was a fun game to watch. Um, I was rooting hard for the Terps to get to get that win. Hor- horrible first half, good second yeah, half. Yeah, they, they are notoriously bad starters this season because they're so young, and I think they're figuring things out. But man, I was rooting my butt off to see them come back and to get that lead. It was a crushing defeat. Um, Do you but think Tremont Waters? It looked like he took about eight steps to the basket <laughs> on, on on that on that game winning hoop. So he might have gotten away with a little travel there. Pull so. of James Harden there. Yeah. Um, so that was a that was incredibly exciting. I was at my folks' house um, for dinner on Sunday, but I did get to catch the end of that Duke game. Uh, yeah, it was w- fantastic. You know, again, that was. This is what it's all about, man. These are the I don't give a crap about your bracket, but, but you do like let me sp- watch the game to dispel the notion you do yeah. love the NCAA tournament. Yeah. Yes, just not Joe Blow's bracket and how he's doing in his pool. Yeah, so and I did not I didn't know that uh, Johnny. This is how much I, attention I've paid to college basketball. I didn't know Johnny Dawkins and his son were both at UCF. And you know, obviously, the connection with Duke is is very strong with them. So and, that, and his son played a fantastic. He did. Uh, Aubrey Dawkins played a fantastic game. So that's going to be my scene: the, the Duke Central Florida game. I mean, there's just this dynamic where you have this seven foot six player for Central Florida, Taco Fall, and and the guy could he's he's not some stiff either. He could, he could actually move a little bit, eh, a little, uh, a, a little more more than most seven. He's, he's not Sean Bradley. I mean, he, he right? Could, he can move more than. Uh, like it was funny just watching him dunk because he didn't he barely had to jump to uh, to dunk. Okay. So yeah, I've got a tweet here that I sent uh, to a couple of people, and it's a it's a picture of Taco Fall on. It says it's from SI Extra Mustard. Taco Fall on his knees is taller than normal human beings, and here he's on his knees, and he's next to a, he's next to a Duke player or who I don't know if that's the Duke game, but he's just as tall as this guy <laughs> who's a point guard or something on his knees. Right. And, and and the amazing thing about that game was it came down to yes the the roll off the rim at the end and and had a, had a more unfavorable roll. Hey Chris, how are you? Um, uh, just if the ball rolled the other direction, I mean Duke was out of this tournament, so yeah. so it was crazy the ending the tap, but 
just dukes down. <laughs> yeah. Central Florida misses the alley oop. They would have been up six with under a minute to go. Hey, they just converted the yeah. alley oop, but but Aubrey Dawkins couldn't get his couldn't get the handle on it, and he and he couldn't convert the alley oop. And then it came down. Duke's looking for a shot, and it came down to Zion Williamson, the the guy, everyone's favorite player, in the, in, yeah. against seven foot six Taco mm-hmm. Fall, and and Zion fouled him out of the game with with a great drive to the basket. So just the whole thing was was perfect. It was one of the best yeah. college basketball games I've seen. And in then a of long course, at, in the post game, Zion said something that probably had the most of America outside of uh, Durham, North Carolina, cringing, and that he said that the basketball gods were smiling on them. And I was like, oh, gee. They- in, in fairness, like Grace, Grace and Allen had a shot last year that touched every part of the rim That's too, and rolled off, and that ended well, – that didn't end it right there, but Duke would have advanced further in the tournament last year. They would have gone to the yeah. Final Four had, had, had that – they gotten a more favorable role the year before. So, But that was just a fantastic game, and, and it, it came down to Zion versus Taco, and, and, and Zion got the – got the winning play there but seeing so. some incredibly exciting players in this tournament yeah i don't i don't know that i remember a, a tournament that's had as many explosive in, impressive athletes um yeah, a bunch you, have of the, them. you have the john ja morant kid from murray state who they they, they lost wow. their second game but but he's going to be maybe the number two pick in the draft uh after, yeah af, after zion so yeah some, th- some were suggesting he's going to be the number one pick in the draft but i i it's I can't see him going before right. Zion. And then so. we had the, the the kid at Gonzaga who scored like thirty six or whatever it was. Um, I know Oregon's got a great a great kid that's was blocking all kinds of yeah. shots. And Oregon's like the Cinderella, this, yeah, the, the so called Cinderella, a team that's been to the Sweet Sixteen three of the last With four years, won ten in a row, won the Pac twelve tournament, and they're the only double digit seed still left in the tournament. It's been a very chalky tournament. Chalk it up, yeah. Chalk it up is 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 a good headline, Josh. Uh, you, you, you must be a, you must be an editor or, or, uh, yeah. or something I'm like sure that. Sure, that's never so, been used before. Yeah, and my and my scene will be just the start of the baseball season, so uh, always look forward to that. So I mean, it, qu- it quickly gets tedious after a while because because yeah. you're in June all of a sudden, and it's the Orioles and the and the Tampa Bay Rays, and it's like how how excited are you going to get for for, uh, for that game? Yeah. So, but but just the start of the season and stuff like that. I, I don't get into the whole cliche, the smell of the grass, and, no. and, and 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 all of that. But but I but I do like the start of the baseball season and. And uh, we'll see it happen. We'll see what happens. I'm hopeful for my uh, Indians. They have the pitching staff to win the World Series, but but they definitely don't have the offense. So is uh, is Kluber still? Is he? He's a, still he's still an Indian. They, how is okay? They're, they're, uh, they're, they were talking about trading him to a pitching needing team that's right. trying to contend, like say the Padres. And those two teams were reportedly talking to each other, but uh, but nothing's been any pitching finalized. needy team who just signed Dallas Keuchel. Yeah, they're <laughs> still available. Like, why? Why isn't he a Padre uh, yet? Uh, so yeah. it, it makes no sense. So, um, so anyway, yep. uh, our thanks to uh, Adam Kilgore of the Washington Post. Uh, he was great with some great insights and uh, and gave us a little peek about uh, sort of what we do here. Um, uh, but he just does it at a, <laughs> at a yeah. higher level than we do it. So, uh, but, but cool. Adam was great, and we hope to have uh, some 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 more guests like that on uh, in the coming weeks. So. Thanks to you for listening, and uh, we will see you next week back here on Just Another Sports Podcast.